Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. And Judy is screening your calls right now, toll-free at 1-866-405-8405 to talk to dog father Joey Villani or veterinarian Dr. Debbie. And it looks like on the show, Robert Simro is going to be talking about the almighty microchip. You know, all of us here at Animal Radio, we definitely recommend the microchip. But there are so many questions surrounding the microchip. Does it cause cancer? Uh, Does it have my address on it? Does it locate my pet like GPS? Yeah, all those questions. (laughs) Some of these questions answered today with Robert Semra with five things you need to know about microchipping your pets. That's on the way. Lori, what are you working on this hour? Well, there is a new list out from the government, Uh um, the Department of Transportation, on the airline that has the most deaths when you ship your animal with them, your pet. You might have heard about some of this story when recently they had this huge rabbit that was found dead when the plane arrived at a United States airport. Well, you know, the big thing, and I, I have to mention this, is that rabbits are very intolerant of heat um, and, and very prone to heat stress. So really anything over 80 degrees or high humidity confined area is really a, a concern. So that's my first question. And I don't know if they'll come out. No, you're right. Story. He was traveling in the cargo hold. Mm, okay. But yeah, it's really hard to, even in outdoors, if you keep rabbits and it's over 80 degrees, they're prone to heat stress. So um, I wonder if that might have played a role um, with this particular one. And of course, it brings up the age-old question, do I travel with my pet in the cabin or below in cargo? And of course, uh, it, the statistics show that obviously having them in the cabin is much safer for them, although it can be very costly. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll we'll investigate all of that at the bottom of the hour right here with Lori Brooks. Let's go to the phones. And let's go to Cindy. Hey, Cindy. Hi. How are you doing? Just fine, thank you. Where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Reading, Pennsylvania. I uh, gotta love it listening on WEEU. So do you have a cat, a dog, a bird, a snake, a flamingo? What do you got? I have two parakeets. Parakeets? Yes. I have always had parakeets, and I adopted these two about two years ago from the local Humane Society. They came together in a cage. They'd always been uh, together. I have problems that they are molting all of the time, all mm-hmm. the time. Okay. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Um I I think I realize that you're not supposed to change uh their their food the what would you call it the combination of food that you feed them that could okay. cause molting is that true Well I mean molting is this is a different answer for every bird because molting is a normal process so and assuming that we're talking about normal feather replacement so it's kind of like us shedding hair ra- rabbits <laughs> birds are constantly losing feathers and new feathers are growing um so that process is accelerated at different times of the year in some climates um and uh I'd say most birds we would figure are going to molt at least once a year 
However, in indoor captivity, this is a very artificial environment. <laughs> so okay. molting can sometimes happen monthly. Um, it, so it can really seem like it is a year-round process for some birds. So um, so my first question would be is, are there any areas of feather loss where we have bald patches, or are you just finding lots of feathers in the cage environment? Um, lots of feathers, and you know, okay. constantly. constantly. Okay. Yeah. So if, if we're to assume that we're in good health, then you may be experiencing excessive molting just due to these birds. Now, you, you mentioned diet, and diet does certainly play an important role with um, birds' health. Um, it's hard to pinpoint and say, oh, gosh, you're feeding a bad diet and you should change that. But if we're feeding a seed-based diet, um, inherently that is a nutritionally poor diet for birds. So there's room to improve upon that. Um, so what kind of food are, are you feeding here? Um, I, I'm not sure I always poured into a container with a sealed lid to n- not have to deal with insect problems. Okay. So I'm not sure. It's just a variety kind okay. of. It's probably a seed mix, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where I'm, I guess my point is that seed mixes are nutritionally poor. So even if they add um, vitamins to them or, you know, we add it to the water, a seed-based diet is a high-fat, low-nutrient diet for birds. So um, years ago, when I went through veterinary school, that's kind of pretty much all that we knew about uh, birds. And, you know, you went to the pet store, you bought the right seed mix for the bird. But um, now they do have more nutritionally complete diets that are made, and those are in the form of pelleted or granular diets. Um, So you can find those um, at the pet store. They do take some challenges to convert a bird to that, especially if they've been eating a seed diet their whole life because they're they're like us. They like fat. (laughs) They're going to eat fat, which is in seeds. But um, you might look at different diets. Uh, Supreme, uh, Harrison's is a great diet. We carry that. Um, And do a, a seed conversion so that we can try to get away from seed and get into more nutritionally complete food. They could, so for me, I kind of describe it, it looks like uh, fruity fruit loops for for birds. You know, they're going to be actual pelleted diets um, uh-huh. that have a full complete balance. Now there are some birds that won't go to that, and a nice alternative that I like are uh, nutriberries, and these are they look like little balls of seeds, but they're more than that. It is actually nutritionally balanced. Um, and that can be something that we can use kind of to kind of either convert or to try to ease and supplement a bird that's um, a heavy seed eater. We want them to, to eat better. Um, and did so, you say both of those are available usually at um, pet stores? Um, yeah, neutral berries you'll definitely find. Um, some of the different brands like Supreme you may find at pet stores. Um, Harrison's, uh, we order and get that shipped into the veterinary office, so I'm not sure if that's, um, you know, sitting on the shelf at a, at a pet store. You might have to order that online specifically. Um, so that's one aspect of things is diet. The other things we look at, things like humidity play a huge role. And an ideal temperature for a budgie is going to be somewhere between 60% to 70% humidity. So um, it's hard to maintain. It's some months of the year. So um, a lot of folks will either put humidifiers in um, or move to doing um, spritzing with water to help, uh, I guess, you know, improve the hydration and to encourage healthy preening behavior. So that's one thing to look at. And then also sleep. Um, birds really need 
especially budgies, they need lots of sleep. So about 10 hours of uh, darkness every night, 10 to 12 hours would be really in the ideal. Um, so those things are just kind of the general things. Um, otherwise, an excessive molter associated with feather loss um, would be, you know, of course, for a veterinary exam and to really figure out if there's something going on. We do see a lot of problems, um, as I mentioned, based on their diet, um, eating a lot of seed-based diets, so they tend to have liver problems. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of things we can do as far as lab work and looking into this mm-hmm. further. Um so that's kind of a long answer of things, so I hope that's some, <laughs> some help for you there. Um, another quick question. You mentioned mm-hmm. uh, about 10 hours of sleep. Um, mm-hmm. When I was a little girl, and we had parakeets back then, um, we would cover the cage at night with this specially made cloth that fit the cage. But nowadays I don't see any of those, and therefore I don't use that mm-hmm. or I don't cover them at night. The room that I do have them in, though, is not, I don't have lights lit in that room at night time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's good enough or how you feel about um, covering the cage. Well, I, I'm actually a fan of covering the cage if there's ambient light in any way. Um, so, uh, you know, it doesn't have, it, when we talk about covering the cage, it doesn't have to be, you know, something, they're not going to suffocate as long as you're not like, right. you know, putting that tight around them. So for me, like sheets work just fine. Um, they're lightweight. Um, you could use one or more um, to provide easy access. Um, and then if you have a closed off room where they're away from, you know, the ambient light, you know, just a closed door, uh, closing blinds, windows, um, you know, window coverings, all of that kind of stuff will mm-hmm. certainly s- suit your needs as well. All righty. Thank you for your call, Cindy. And thank you very much. I appreciate it. Toll free, it's one 405 8405 to reach out to Dr. Debbie right now. If you have a question about your dog, your cat, your parakeets, I, I didn't see that one coming, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. You always say flamingo how. Well, yeah, you know, and parakeet's more normal. I I would imagine so. So anyway, if you'd like to talk to Dr. Debbie right now, toll free one eight six six four zero five eight four zero five. And of course, don't forget, she has some great books out. These are uh, Kindle books. These are books that are available online for digital reading. They're not in print. So if you like that tangible thing, you'll have to print these puppies out. Uh, but they're especially for Yorkshire Terrier, Shih Tzus, Pugs, or Mini Schnauzers. They're called How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend. And they're over at Amazon. We also have links from AnimalRadio.com. This healthy serving of Animal Radio is brought to you by the grain-free Red Barn Naturals canned food for dogs and cats. It is always made in the USA. And it's made with functional ingredients to support your pet's optimal health. You can learn more over at RedBarnInc.com. And thank you, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. On any given afternoon, neighbors might see David Valentine and his two goats jumping up and down on his backyard trampoline. And it's got them hopping mad. Twelve-year-old David has lots of animals, dogs, cats, guinea pigs, rabbits, a turtle, a parrot, and a gerbil. But it's the trampoline jumping goats that seem to help him manage his attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. David's family is now fighting the neighbors and the town zoning law in court. David's mom calls the goats a miracle and a gift from God. 
David thinks the goats motivate him more than the other pets because they're like a kid with ADHD. They don't listen very well. That's kind of like me, he said. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Find us at AnimalRadio.com. Log on, learn more. Hi, this is Betty White. All us animal lovers love Animal Radio. Please help every way you can to make life better for our animals, like the Morris Animal Foundation does. We can't tell you why canine caviar is the only alkaline-based dog food. But we can tell you, alkaline is proven to minimize the risk of renal failure and pancreatitis, reduce scratching, cellular degeneration, and disease, keeping your furry friend youthful and healthy longer. And those are the reasons we can fit into this short commercial. But by visiting caninecaviar.com, you'll see exactly what we do to make a better food for your dog. Try the one and only alkaline dog food risk-free. Canine Caviar. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio. I'm looking up at the board. It seems like a cat-centric show today. We'll find out about the inner life of cats in just a few minutes. Also, if you have an adventure cat, if you have a cat that likes to go outside, you put them on a leash, you walk them, uh, I think today is really your show. We have Laura Moss on, and she has written a book called Adventure Cats. And she takes her cats out camping, kayaking, canoeing, surfing. And I guess they're maybe... Why not? Not all cats like that, I'm sure. And not all dogs like it either. It's the personality of the animal. But if you have a cat that likes to get out, do the hiking, and uh, you like to spend a lot of time with it, be listening. Just a few minutes, Laura Moss will be joining us right here. On Animal Radio. We're also going to head back to the phones in just a couple of seconds for your calls. The number is toll-free. That means it costs you nothing. 1-866-405-8405 to talk to Dr. Debbie or to groomer Joey Volani, the dog father. And don't forget, you can also ask your questions from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. So if you haven't downloaded that, go ahead and download it now. And uh, Lori's working hard in the newsroom over there. How are you doing? Well, you're going to be covering cats all show, it yep. seems like. Yep. So I'm going to uh, throw a dog story in there Good. and tell you about a dog that has uh, undergone sex reassignment surgery. Huh? Sex yeah, gender reassignment. reassignment. Gen- gender, gender. Like, like Caitlyn Jenner, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Did the- but it's not, I mean, this has really happened, but it was medically necessary. Medically this, necessary. This dog. Yeah. Was the dog able to decide which gender it was being yeah, did assigned? It get to select? No, the owners got to decide. The dog okay. didn't. But, yes. but, um, she is still, they still call her Molly, if that helps. If this little tidbit, this little morsel is intrigued, you stick around. <laughs> For Lori and uh, her news in just about 10 minutes or so right here on Animal Radio. Dr. Debbie, you ready to go to the phones? Hey, Tom. Hey, how you doing? Doing good. How are you doing today? How can we help you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, for Dr. Debbie, I have I have two cats at home that live in the home, and uh, male and female, uh, brother and sister. I've been having a, kind of a stray male coming around. Uh, everybody's neutered that I can tell, and... Uh, we were wondering about if we can, our male doesn't like this other male here with him around the home. He's 
the uh, bigger male respects the, the territory and all that, but he's, uh, you know, a little cautious. He'll come up to us and everything, but uh, we would like to adopt him, I guess. Okay. Did you ask the other cats what they think about the situation? No. <laughs> <laughs> if if, if really we could, like it would be so easy, wouldn't it? We could just yeah, ask them, hey, what do you think of this guy? Do you want him to hang with you? <laughs> yeah. Now, are your cats indoor kitties, um, or do they go outside? They go outside. Okay, oh, so they live you. indoor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All righty. So, well, I mean, you can certainly see about adding in this new guy. The first thing I would do before I would even consider mixing the t- mixing the three of them would be to make sure this new kitty is evaluated for health. Um, take him into the vet, make sure we get a good health assessment, screen him for infectious disease, feline leukemia, kitty AIDS, and make sure all is well um, because as you bring in this new friend, you're going to be exposing your, your existing kitties to whatever this other cat has got in his, uh, his world. So want to make sure we're not bringing any problems into the home health-wise. Then, as far as if we're looking to transition them, always remember the more cats you add into the mix, the more chance for problems in the interactions. So it's kind of like a mathematical equation. With each cat that you add, there's more likeliness we could upset the mix and the balance and start to have some behavioral problems, house soiling or inner cat aggression. So be prepared. (laughs) Now, that whole process of introducing them is actually best controlled in an indoor controlled environment. It's going to be very hard to make this transition and to be able to advise you with having all the kitties going in and outside. There's just too big of a scenario and there's no way to control their behaviors and if there's a negative behavior and how we're going to control that. So best we would do this indoors and we would actually like to isolate the new cat in a separate room and let your other kitties have run of the house. So if you're looking at mixing them together, we're really planning on committing to maybe several weeks of integration. And you got to go slow. Um, but the, the new cat would stay isolated in his room. And then once everyone seems comfortable with that and there's not a lot of posturing, hissing, things like that, then we're going to switch bedding and maybe even rub towels on the kitties' faces and switch them in the two environments. And this allows them to get used to the smell of each other, which is very important because we know cats are all about scents and scent marking. That's what all that urine is all about. So we want to go slow with that. And then gradually um, we're going to start feeding the kitties maybe by that door, that that zone where they're going to have that closest contact between each other. We want the food to be the reward for the presence of the new kitties and work up to it from there. And then gradually we'll allow them to have access physically, preferably with one of the kitties or even, um, you know, the new kitty isolated, maybe even a pet carrier so we can safely control the physical aspect of things. Just if there's any fight potential, any kind of aggressive potentials, we want nobody to get hurt in that situation. So that's the best way to control that. And then from there, Tom, we're going to really just kind of work up in small amounts. If we get bad behavior, we get hissing, we get attacking, we have to back up because we know that cats are kind of like elephants. They think in slow time. So if they're upset and they have a bad uh, interaction and they're aggressive, then we have to slow down, maybe even give them a couple days, up to sometimes five days to chill out before we try to reintroduce them. Um, But you can do it, and we can do it very slowly and uh, just use your positive rewards for when they are together. And then 
you're going to hopefully be at a spot where they'll be getting along, and then we can allow in the long run the indoor-outdoor exposure when they'll uh, hopefully be in a much happier uh, zone of kitty integration there. All dogs should eat a pH-balanced alkaline diet. An alkaline diet reduces health risks and can also reduce scratching, shedding, and hot spots. So does this mean you need to check your dog's pH balance? No, because canine caviar has created the first and only alkaline dog food that is pH-balanced. It also has the highest metabolized calories. What does this mean? Your dog needs to eat less. Get a healthier dog and save money with canine caviar products. Find them at your local pet supply store or online at caninecaviar.com. This is an Animal Radio News Update brought to you by Fear Free. Fear Free takes the pet out of petrified and puts the treat into treatment. To learn more and find a certified Fear Free veterinary professional near you, visit fearfreepets.com. I'm Lori Brooks. Think twice, uh, maybe better yet three times before you pack up your pet dog or cat or rabbit even and send them on a plane trip. United Airlines is investigating an incident where one of the world's biggest rabbits, it's a, a three-foot long continental rabbit is the breed, uh, named Simon, and he was found dead after a flight from London's Heathrow Airport landed at Chicago O'Hare. Simon was traveling... Yeah, you probably guessed, in the cargo hold, and did not survive the trip, even though his owner says he had a vet checkup just three hours before the flight. Well, it turns out that United had the most animal deaths of all U.S. airlines last year for the second year in a row, and that includes scheduled domestic or international passenger flights, according to the Department of Transportation. United had nine deaths of animals and 14 injuries last year, meaning it had, uh, they break that down to 2.1 incidents involving the transportation of 10,000 animals or per 10,000. Delta Airlines was next on the list and had five animal deaths and injuries, five each. And then American Airlines was third and they had four animal deaths. There are also numerous injuries, though, that get reported due to an animal pawing and chewing metal cages during a flight because they're stressed and panicked even. Ironically, United has a program called Pet Safe to transport animals that are not eligible to travel with passengers in the cabin. But don't let that name fool you. Uh, the Humane Society of the United States says, quote, we strongly discourage having your pet travel by air in the cargo hold of a plane that it can be dangerous and stressful. They say cats, for instance, do not enjoy change, and taking them on trips is usually not a good idea. Uh, before the record, each airline is required to report the total number of animal incidents for the entire calendar year and total number of animals that they transported so that all of these statistics can be figured out. They're required to do so by January 15th for the entire year before. So it's taken pretty seriously. Yeah. Can you imagine if they did that for humans? And, you know, like there was three or four deaths. <laughs> yes, but hey. Yeah, 10,000. Yeah, that's really not pretty that bad. Good. Yeah, what are your is odds? Is the cargo area... Is the cargo area like like climate controlled? Anything? I mean, I mean, does do we even know not about usually. that? Usually, yeah. I don't know if it's pressure uh, controlled or climate controlled. I'm not sure. Well, I, there have been cases where humans have stowed away in cargo holds, and um, were, I've heard that they were lucky that they didn't freeze to death. 
Yeah. It depends on the climate that you're traveling in. Yeah. Yeah. Don't put your animals in the cargo. If you can travel with them in the cabin best you can, uh, that's the, the approach I would take. Well, can, exactly. Get a vehicle. You, but can you travel with any pet in the cabin? Like if it's, if it's a big dog, I mean, can you buy a ticket for, for that dog or does it have to be service? It doesn't have to be service, but you have to pay. But you it. have to pay. It's usually an average of about two hundred dollars for a dog for a ticket, and I'm not sure. I know there's limitations on to how many animals can be in a cabin. I'm not sure if there's a restriction on size. I think you have certain seats that you can have a big dog, but there's only X amount allowed on a plane at a time. Mm. <gasps> You've obviously done this, Judy. <laughs> yes, I have. Lucky ladybug. (laughs) The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has issued warning letters to 14 companies that are selling more than 65 different fake cancer treatments. The bogus products include just about everything. Pills, capsules, powders, creams, uh, treatments, diagnostic kits, you name it. They're most commonly marketed and sold without FDA approval on websites and on social media and are usually advertised as all natural. Uh, But the intended target for these phony cancer treatments is not just humans, okay? Unproven cancer treatments for pets are also very common, according to the FDA. The government agency says, in fact, that bogus remedies claiming to cure cancer in cats and dogs are showing up more and more online all the time. People who can't afford to spend large sums at a vet hospital to treat cancer in their pets are searching for less expensive remedies online and increasingly becoming victims of the phony cancer cure scams. Now, this sounds like a tabloid story, but this one is true. Uh, A pet dog has undergone gender reassignment. Oh, yes. oh, no. Yeah. And, no, it, it's, it was a, a must-do surgery in this case for a, a rare operation after the vets had discovered that this dog was a hermaphrodite, meaning that medical experts had discovered that this dog, she, Molly, was born with both male and female body parts. Her name is Molly. She's a Jack Russell Terrier. However, she has since made a complete total recovery after going this rare gender reassignment surgery uh, a little background her parents took her to the vet after uh, when she was a puppy and they noticed her unusual they described it as potty behavior and what happened was they noticed that around the house molly would squat to urinate but outside when she was outside to potty she would lift her leg now i, I mean i've seen male dogs squat to urinate but uh for some reason this really alarmed them and they took her to the vet and that's what they found out that she had both of these sex organs molly though is now 18 months old and has made a complete recovery after that surgery last june judy why are you yeah, why are you so upset because i have a jack russell mix and she squats in the house and lifts her leg outside you better check <gasps> But she was spayed. They would have noticed. They would have noticed when they opened up. Yeah, they would have noticed. Yeah, they would have noticed. All right. You know, sometimes guys sit down. Yeah, see? And sometimes girls lift their legs. So So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen that one. There's a dog next door. She's a Pomeranian and shoots her leg way out there, and she kind of squats at the same time. It's the funniest thing, but she's adorable. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. 
This has been an Animal Radio News Update brought to you by Fear Free. The veterinarian isn't typically thought of as your pet's favorite place to go. With Fear Free, that all changes. To learn more and find a certified Fear Free veterinary professional near you, visit fearfreepets.com. Hi, friends. This is Dr. Marty Becker, America's veterinarian. As you know, going to the vet can be a traumatic experience for your pet, but it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, vet visits can be something your pet looks forward to. Introducing Fear Free. When your veterinarian is Fear Free certified, you'll be assured your pet's vet visit is more free of fear, anxiety, and stress than ever before. Fear Free takes the pet out of petrified, and it puts the treat into treatment. To find a certified Fear Free veterinarian near you, go to fearfreepets.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hello, everyone. It's Robert Semro, your Pet World Insider, here with this week's Animal Radio list, five things to know about microchipping your pet. There's nothing more heartbreaking than when a pet goes missing. You can't call them on their cell phone or ping their tablet. No, it's a massive panic time as you try to remember everything you did or didn't do to help them to have the best chance of getting home. We put up signs, we send out social media requests for help, and in the end we pray for the safety and well-being of our pet. We also promise ourselves and anyone listening that if we can be reunited with them, we'll make sure we do everything to ensure that this never happens again. Well, let's start today before this happens. Take an updated picture of your pet, Make notes and do one of the best things that you can do for your pet. Get them microchipped. This can dramatically increase the chances that you are reunited with your pet. And as a reminder, and to ease some fears, I'm going to share some must-know things about microchipping. To begin with, the microchip is about the size of a grain of rice. It's inserted using a needle that quickly implants the chip under the skin. Most pets never even know it's there or what occurred the microchip emits a radio frequency to a compatible chip reader. And there are different places to get one in different types as well. But most veterinary offices and clinics offer microchipping services and are aware of what's being used in your local area. Next, and this is the most important thing once they've been chipped, make sure it's working. It's critical to have it tested and tested on a regular basis. The chip can migrate, and it's important to note that not all chip readers can read all chips. So check with your local shelter to see if their chip reader can read the chip that's inserted into your pet. Additionally, make sure that you've filled out all of the information associated with the chip it's important to update your information that the chip is tied to. If you move, update your new address and contact information. Next, a microchip is not a GPS system. It has a code assigned to it and is in a passive mode, meaning that it only gives the information when asked for it as a compatible microchip reader passes over it. So don't think this is going to tell you where your pet is. If that's what you need, there are other products on the market that do provide GPS information. And finally, and there's always so much more to know about these things, but this is one that must be said. Having a microchip doesn't replace the need for you to have ID tags. ID tags are the first chance in the recovery of a pet. Anyone can read an ID tag, assuming it's in good shape. So if you have chipped your pet, add a note to check the info and the chip to make sure that they're still working. And if you haven't, remember microchipping increases the chances that you and your pet will be reunited. Share your pet microchipping tips on our Animal Radio Facebook page.
Hey, everybody, this is Brett Michaels, and I just want to say you, right now, want to take, wait, give me the line again. My brain skipped. Uh, Brett Michaels. I just had one of my brain hemorrhage brain farts. Oh, Go don't ahead. do that. Say don't that do that. I don't want to be responsible for that. Trust me, it's me. Go okay. ahead. Animal radio. Brett Michaels and animal radio. You got it. I knew the animal radio. Like, okay, here we go. Hey, this is Brett Michaels. You're listening to Animal Radio, and take care of your pets. They will rock your world. I am the family dog, and it's that time of year again. The one where pet parents start looking for Fido-friendly hotels and destinations where Fido is welcome. Make no bones about it. Pets are part of the family, and we like to sniff out new places, and we hate to be turned away, especially when we're on our best behavior. So we won't be left out in the cold. Be sure to pick up a copy of Fido-friendly magazine to find the best hotels and destinations where Fido is always welcome. Go online to phytofriendly.com and subscribe today. Hi, this is Anne-Marie Lucas from Animal Precinct and the ASPCA. And when I'm not out busting bad guys for abusing animals, I am home listening to Animal Radio. We have crazy dogs in the studio. They're getting restless. They are getting restless. We welcome to the show author Thomas McNamee. Hi, how are you doing, Mr. McNamee? Very well. How about yourself? Very well. I'm a cat guy. Sometimes people make fun of me because I'm like, the crazy cat, crazy guy. cat guy. I, I have a lot of cats, and I <laughs> I, I enjoy my cat. The, I, now, how many is a lot? Four. Yeah. Well, that's that's a medium herd. Well, let me tell you. When <laughs> someone says herd. four, they mean eight. Oh, yeah, but right. you, you know that you oh. have you have a cat, don't you? You have a, a little black kitten, don't you? No, the little black kitten was the hero of the book. Unfortunately, she's parted this earth. I now have. One cat named Isabel. Isabel. Part Bengal. How old is it? Be- uh, part Bengal, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's inc- I've, I don't think I've ever seen that in a cat before. Uh, only part, though. I mean, you know, she's got sort of the top half of her is Bengal, and underneath is a tabby. Does she wow. have different characteristics than, your, <laughs> say, your domestic cat? Uh, physically, yes. Uh, she's a little taller in the back, and she's got spots instead of stripes. And she's got that Bengal flat nose like a lion. And um, what about behavior? Instead of meowing, she goes, ah, ah. she oh. thinks my name is. Ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> she's doing her best. OK, cut her some slack, will you? Yeah, yeah. she's a great cat. Is her behavior different than uh, the typical cat? No, not materially. She's a little more athletic, I think. You have a, a brand new book out. It's called The Inner Life of Cats. And I've just started to crack it open. A great book. Uh, tell listeners about it and then the inspiration behind it. My wife and I were living on a ranch in Montana. It was a very remote place. And uh, we had, on one December, there was a tremendous blizzard. And the next morning, I was looking for something in the equipment barn, and I saw this little black thing hopping around and jumped around after it and found it, a little tiny black kitten. It was impossible for it to have come anywhere because we lived in the middle of nowhere, almost uh, just on the edge of the Absarca Beartooth Wilderness, which wow. is a million and odd acres na- contiguous to Yellowstone National Park. And... Then I noticed that there were tracks in the snow coming down our driveway, which is a quarter mile long from the county road. And luckily, our ranch manager had driven down that driveway in the night and made deep tracks in the snow. It was otherwise powder snow. And there were these little tiny dime-sized footprints all the way down from the county road in the, in the rut uh, where the, show, the snow had been compacted enough to support mm-hmm. the cat. And somebody had come out there. We're 25 miles from nearest town. And dumped a kitten. Oh. So they were getting rid of the cat, and they dumped it near you. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, Assuming in that a we would take care of it. And in a blizzard. They probably yeah. dumped several other kittens somewhere else around the valley, and those ones, as far as I know, didn't survive. In any case, we raised, we decided to name her Augusta, and we raised her, and we didn't do a great job of raising her because we didn't really know what we were doing. And through the course of her life, we learned a lot about her, but we also learned later that we'd made a lot of mistakes. And so she had phobias and, and various problems through the course of her life. And looking back over her life after she was gone, after 15 years, I realized as I began to learn more about cats that, you know, I, I think there might be a book in telling people about mistakes in raising cats and, and the good things that one can learn about cats if only the scientific literature of which there's a lot in, from the last 20 years of research, were brought forward to the broad public. So I combined the story of Augusta with a lot of science that really hasn't been known until now. So the, it really was uh, lessons on your mistakes and how to avoid them, which is yeah. like my life. So, so, that's right. So it began with guilt. <laughs> and hopefully it ends with, you know, what, illumination. And so what did you learn? What was the What was the one takeaway that you learned from all of the research you did for the inner life of cats? Well, I, I found a paper that was published in, uh, from a conference held in Switzerland in the middle 80s that had never made it with, to broad distribution by a woman named Elaine Karsh. And Karsh discovered that nurturing cats from an extremely early age, as early as two weeks, with human handling and human noises and human voice and, and human disturbances like vacuum cleaners and car horns and things like that, the, the way their brains develop, if they have that kind of human contact, human love that early, you get a much sturdier, braver, more peaceful cat. And that's a lot earlier than is generally known now. And people really tend to start handling cats between 7 and 12 weeks, kittens, that is. And if it started a lot earlier, you get a much more sturdy and reliable cat. That's the biggest thing that I found. What uh, what do cats really need from humans to survive and thrive? And you should know. Um, I'll put a period at the end of yeah, that. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I was waiting for more too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, understanding, care, and, and uh, an appreciation for their emotional depth and complexity. Uh, cats are complicated and emotionally very sensitive. A lot of people think cats, you know, are aloof and they don't give a damn about anything or anybody. That's not true. Uh, you, it takes some work to come to understand cats, understand their body language. But once you do, once you start to explore your cat's complexities, you, can, you will be richly rewarded. Well, your book is incredible. I'm going to give out 10 copies right now, toll-free at 1-866-405-8405. It's called The Inner Life of Cats, The Science and Secrets of Our Mysterious Feline Companions. The author, Thomas McNamee, who's joining us, if you'd like to pick up on it, give me, give me a call now. If you're not lucky enough to get on through, here's the deal. Head on over to Amazon.com. Do a search. It's The Inner Life of Cats and pick up that puppy. Or go to your bookstore if you still have one of those wherever you live. Thomas, thank you so much for hanging with us today. I'm delighted to be here, and, and thank you so much for asking me. Give, uh, give your whole family there, the cuddly ones, a, a big old hug from all of us, will you? We'll do it. Take care. Uh, let's head back to the phones for your calls. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. <laughs> Hi, this is Betty White. All us animal lovers love animal radio. Please help every way you can to make life better for our animals. 
like the Morris Animal Foundation does. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Red Barn canned food for cats and dogs is grain and gluten free. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Well, cats are generally, well, they're generally inside animals. You know, unless you let them outside, they usually stay within the area around your house. But some of them like hiking, some of them like canoeing, and some of them like surfing. That is according to Laura Moss. She is the... (laughs) author of Adventure Cats and the author of the website AdventureCats.org, where she has pulled together a bunch of cats that apparently like these kind of adventures and featured them, and she has tips for us. So if you have a cat that likes to go outside, maybe go on hikes, she'll have tips for making those hikes better for you. Awesome. Isn't that weird? It's the weirdest thing. I I had one of those cats, so yeah, they're out there. I tried putting harness on my cat once, and he walked so funny. It just fell on the ground. It was bizarre, yeah. I can't imagine that cats are going to want to go surfing, um, to go hiking in the woods, where there's a lot of, you know, cats are just tend to be a little more flighty. So I would be really interested to talk to uh, callers if they've got a cat that does this. Yeah, I, I tend to think this is the exception than the rule here. Yeah, definitely. For, but you may have one of these cats. So we'll find out more in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. It's toll-free, 1-866-405-8405 to reach out to the Dream Team or ask your questions for the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. We're going to Michael. Hey, Michael. Hey. Where are you calling from? Uh, Well, I'm currently in Westwood. Oh, so the L.A. area. Okay. L.A. area. Okay, so what's going on? Well, my poor little dog, he's never had any health issues. He's about five years old. He's a terrier mix. And recently, he's been doing a lot of scratching and biting mm-hmm. of his skin. Um, I'm assuming that it's allergies. Uh, my previous dog had the same issue, right around the same age. And uh, I, 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 I'm giving him Benadryl. I'm making sure he's taking his uh, or has his flea medication regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm bathing him, um, tried to, well, I was once every couple weeks. I, the vet recommended I try doing it twice a week. So I gave him a second bath the other day for, it was the second bath this week. And that night he was so miserable. He kept us both up all night, scratching Mm. and biting. And I went out yesterday morning to the market to get him some Benadryl. And that seems to have helped a little bit. Um, He's still itching and scratching and biting, but not as much. So I'm assuming it's the the Benadryl that's that's helping him out. Um, I just was wanting to know if there's any other suggestions you guys may have, any products that are out there. There's a lot of things we can talk about. Now, I have a question, though. So bathing two times a week is excessive unless we have a pet that has a 
proven skin condition. So was there something going on previously that your veterinarian recommended bathing twice a week? Uh, no, he just looked at, at, at his skin because I had taken him in for his shots on Friday. He looked at his skin and he noticed that it did look a little irritated in the okay. back tail area. Okay, so if you had just seen the vet, so just this week you saw the vet? Yes, just a few days okay. ago, yes. All right, okay. Well, that, that would be, that's actually my first recommendation, is that if there, if you haven't seen a vet, we need to actually diagnose and, and figure out what's going on with your pet's skin. So um, I would encourage you to pick up the phone, call that veterinarian, and say, hey, you know what, we are itching, this is just not the solution. Um, having red okay. skin during an exam is not normal. So there are people that kind of are comfortable with pets that have itchy skin or red skin kind of on a regular basis. But obviously, this sounds like your dog is much more uncomfortable than he had been with the itching. So for me, I would certainly say, okay, you got itching concerns or we've got red skin. We need to investigate. And there's a couple things that we really want to roll out. Um, the first okay. thing is, is types of parasites. And, and this is something that I'm happy you're using a flea product because that's always one of the first things I recommend is, are you using regular flea control? And if not, we need to be doing that because you're definitely in California, in an area where we certainly can have fleas. So that's number one. But for me, when I have an itching pet, and I will tell you kind of sidebar here, is that right now in uh, Las Vegas where I practice, we are seeing so many itchy, scratchy pets. I'm about to ready to pull my hair out. It is an excessively bad allergy season. and Yeah, I've noticed it seems to be a common issue. With many yes. of my friends too that have pets. Right. And it definitely can. But the reason I say we want to have a good exam is because sometimes we can get fooled by just assuming things are allergies. And case in point, right today in my office today, I have two pets that are itching and they actually have lice. They've been treated for allergies. At least one of them has been treated for allergies for the last few months. And uh, so today we diagnosed lice. So unfortunately, they were heading down the wrong pathway, assuming it was allergies, when we really you know, should have done a better job as far as evaluating for skin scrapings and parasite testing. So just now, a little cautionary you, tale I there. I have a question. I have a question. Do you think I could uh, find lice on him if I knew what I was looking for? Yeah, lice are actually visible with the naked eye. They do require good, uh, either good eyesight or magnification. Um, but uh-huh. lice, yeah, they adhere to the skin and uh, or to the hairs, I should say, and they'll be tan to gray in color. And they tend to like to hang out, especially on the head area, uh, but really kind of anywhere on the body. But usually, the first place I look is kind of on the top of the head, kind of above the eyebrow area. Oh, okay. um, but, and, and this is where also, you know, if you kind of share these concerns with your veterinarian, they can do a more thorough exam, not only visually, but also do what we call a skin scraping. Because there are parasites that are also microscopic that you can't see with your naked eye. And that's why, you know, having some testing rather than just say, oh, it looks red to me. Um, you know, it would be where I would definitely go with this. Okay. So if we're just kind of assuming that, you know, there's no infection, there's no parasites, there's a lot of things we can do for itchy, scratchy pets. And right now um, in, in my office, we're using a whole host of different therapies, and it really depends on a couple things. So I always ask people, okay, is this year-round? Is it to the point where you or the dog aren't sleeping? And um, figuring out if we have other ongoing things like skin, uh, bacterial infection, yeast infections, food allergies, things like that. So we have to kind of address this kind of all together. Um, but some of the remedies beyond antihistamines that you're using currently will be topical therapy. And for me, I use a lot of oatmeal-based shampoos for just an allergic pet. Oatmeal yeah, is a calming, a, soothing a thing. Oatmeal, aloe, aloe, 
oatmeal yeah, aloe those... shampoo, um, and that's what I've been using on here yeah. for the last several packs. Yeah, and that's certainly a reasonable thing. If that's beyond that level, then certainly, you know, we need to do some other therapies. Um, things that I do use in my office a lot for anti-itching, um, antihistamines work in a small percent of the cases, and you know, maybe less than 20 to 30 percent of the dogs. We're going to see some improvement. Now, you might have less because we have a sedated sleeping dog, but it, you just have to kind of look at that as do we really have a pet whose quality of life is better or are they just drowsy? Um, but beyond that, things that help with itching can be um, some of the new products. Um, there's a pill that we use kind of for long-term allergy control. So that's another thing I decide. Is this just a sudden problem we're having or are we fighting this year-round? Um, but there's a pill called Apoquel that's used for that. Um, a short-term fix uh, for anti-itching is an uh, injection uh, called Cytopoint, and that can help for about 30 days for itching. Uh, but again, you have to see a veterinarian for that. And then there's the good right. old things like steroids, prednisone or prednisone-type products um, in right. pill forms, right. injection forms, and we can use those. I, I'd have to say most veterinarians are a little bit more light-handed about steroids if we can avoid it just because there are right. some other products we can right. dabble into. Um, yeah. But I, I would say definitely, you know, getting back to that veterinary office, or if you're saying mm, maybe I want to try somewhere else, you know, um, just making sure that you have someone who's prepared to address your itching concerns there fully. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right. I food for thought. All this <laughs> advice. Yes, lots of food. And so, um, <laughs> I will. I will definitely uh, take some action, and um, I'm. You know, call the vet. We wish you the best of luck with that, Michael. If you need a follow-up, feel free to call. Toll-free, it's 1-866-405-8405 to reach out to the Dream Team, or you can ask your questions from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hi, Ron. Welcome to the show. Good day. What's going on? Okay. Uh, the problem I have with a truck lab, her name is Dolly. She is chewing on her pads on the bottom of her feet right now, her two front paws. She's cracking them open. And she's cracking them open? Yes. Well, um, if this is something where it just happened all of a sudden, the first thing I look at is if there's been some recent activity that's kind of gone over the edge. Some dogs will just a little bit, especially labs, they'll be a little bit anxious and overdo it when it comes to activities like retrieving, running. So if there's been some physical injury where she sustained that, then um, we look at bandaging and getting her off her feet and some R&R for a while. Now, there are certainly dogs that will get some cracked pads and for various different reasons. Some of them can be some um, metabolic problems inside the body. Um, and other times it's just a matter of some dry skin or what we call hyperkeratosis. So um, it really would be something I would advise to have a vet get their eyeballs on just so that we can make that distinction because there are definitely some really freaky looking foot pads in older dogs where the, the foot pad actually grows off to the side. It gets all kind of bristly looking and it can have all these fissures and cracks in it. And by itself, that isn't usually a problem. Um, so if the fact that she's bothering it and especially if we see any oozing or bleeding then you know this is something we really need to get a look at and with an older girl of 13 some of those metabolic problems kind of come to the surface and we might want to you know evaluate that a bit further okay i was just wondering this is all of a sudden i'm a truck driver and she's in a truck all the time so it it causes a problem because on different places all the time and she's walking in the asphalt all the time and that's hot sometimes because the the heat. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this if, this would be something where, um, you know, it sounds silly, and Hal will probably laugh at me, but there are dog booties and dog socks that have little bits of skid pads on the bottom. So, you know, if it is a matter of or, you know, her feet are sensitive and we're not able to get to a vet to do bandaging, some of those little socks and um, the booties, it takes a little time to get them used to that and acclimated to that, but that might be a protective device that you could use, especially when you're on the road, to just keep those feet from really getting irritated. Um, and yes, I would put those on Boss. I think that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I think and those are protect cute. Our babies. I think they're cute. I actually do think they're cute. It's when you start putting on the dresses with the frills. It's time for breakfast at Burger King. Three pancakes for 89 cents at Burger King. That's pancake, pancake, pancake. Respect the stuck. Three pancakes for 89 cents. Also try two croissant with sandwiches for $4. Only at Burger King. Limited time at participating Burger King restaurants. Hi, this is Joy Behar on Animal Radio. Please stay and neuter your pets. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. It's Animal Radio. Celebrating the connection with our pets. Don't forget you can ask your questions from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. And you should download it now. This is a great app to have because if there's ever a recall, a pet food recall, or something that really affects you and your pets, you'll know immediately. You'll be notified right there on your smartphone. And, of course, it is a free download. You can also ask your questions right from the app. You know, it could be 2 in the morning. could be whenever you're listening. You can also listen to the show. It's just, there's so many reasons to have that app. It's such a great app. So go download it right now from your app store, either your iPhone app store or Google Play. Uh, I don't know where BlackBerry users get their, their apps, but. I don't know. Go there, wherever you. I don't know anybody who has a BlackBerry. Yeah. Last year we learned about a dog that uh, got a gender reassignment surgery. Did you say last year? No, la- did I say that? I meant last hour. And mm-hmm. uh, this was kind of intriguing for us. I've oh, never yeah. heard of this. This is this was something that uh, apparently the owners noticed that the dog was squatting to pee inside and then lifting their leg outside, which doesn't seem unusual to us because that's what Ladybug Ladybug do. does. <laughs> yeah, but apparently it brought this to the attention of the doctor, and they uh, did her gender reassignment. They apparently made her a girl. Yeah. Guess well, so. and I think this sounds like I would love to know more details about uh, Molly's situation because what they probably found was that I've diagnosed hermaphroditism in in dogs before, and usually it's you know it's kind of look like a girl, but there's like this little thing sticking out by the vaginal area, and it's actually kind of a vestigial penis. Um, so that's one thing that often will kind of give us the hint that there's a problem. Um, but yeah, many of these guy gals um, they will actually have um, instead of ovary. They'll have what we call an ovotestes. So it's a kind of a actually testicular tissue, but it's in the place of where the ovaries are located. So, um, yeah, it's well, very interesting. What happens if you don't do the surgery? Well, um, uh, well, a lot of the females, and in, in, I should say, not every dog that has this has to have the um, the little vestigial penis, the os penis, removed. But it can be a source of infections and problems and discomfort because of the way it's oriented. So, um, I've I've never actually removed one, but um, the removal itself would be very challenging because you have to watch the urinary outflow. So this may have been done by some big wigs up at you know at a veterinary school or a specialty hospital where they did that. But otherwise, it consists of uh, removing. Uh, their ovaries so kind of go 
going in for a spay to remove those organs to remove the sense the source of the the hormones um, so you could still have cycling in, in a dog that's a hermaphrodite so they'd still go in through heat whether or not they'd be fertile would be a t- another whole thing you know mm. how many have you seen you said you've seen one oh i see a handful maybe three i can think of over the years uh, but it's a really kind of you know maybe kind of sad for the family because they've got something special they have to deal with but um it's really in you know i, I like weird things so it's pretty exciting when this kind of stuff happens they're just like whoa it's so cool is this just in dogs or cats or um, I'm pretty sure it can happen in cats, but from what I'm aware in dogs, it can happen. I think it's actually been reported in about 20 different breeds as an inherited uh, condition. So um, it's out there. It's not terribly common. It is a recessive trait. So um, it's, it's not something we see left and right. And like I said, in 20 some years, I've seen three of them. Um, so it's pretty unusual. If you missed that story last hour, that would be another reason to download the Animal Radio app and you can get that news and information that we heard last hour. Whenever you want, whenever you want to listen to it. Now, this hour, Lori's working hard in the newsroom on an almost as exciting story. What do you got going on? We're going to talk about uh, the deadliest animals in America. The deadliest animals. they got to be dogs, right? We're talking about dogs. No, no, no. In fact, don't even think pit bull. Don't even go there. Really? Uh, Not pit bulls, not rattlesnakes. So just mold that over in your head for a while, and we'll tell you in a little bit. Ooh, okay. I'm going to think about that. That's That's a tough one. Uh, so we'll head to the phones. Let's, in fact, let's go to line two right now for Dr. Debbie. Hey, Chuck, how are you? Okay. Yourself? Very good. Uh, where, where are you? I just left Chicago. Are you a trucker? Yes, I am. Okay. What's going on with your animals? Okay. I got a, a dog that's six years old, half red boned hound and half pit bull mastiff. And, uh, it's the first time he's been on a truck with me in six years. And, uh, He's got a discharge from his penis. It's uh, a bright yellow discharge. He gets all over everything. It's hard to clean up. I don't know if it's normal or do I need to take him to a vet? Uh, give me an idea what's going on, maybe? Sure. Now, um, you mentioned he's about six years of age. Is he neutered? No, he's not. Okay, because um, when we're talking yellow stuff coming out of penis in dogs, um, some degree of smegma is always normal in small amounts. And we're going to see more of that if a dog is not neutered. So this is kind of one of those kind of kind of unsavory reasons why we might say, let's go ahead and neuter because we know that we can decrease that amount um, in an unneutered, from an unneutered dog to a neutered dog. Um, now the question is, is it an infection? It's hard to say, but um, because we know an intact male dog is going to have a certain degree of this stuff, it's just kind of an icky goo that kind of is going to always be around. Um, you can't get rid of it unless we neuter them. Now, if it is an infection, I might expect to see some other signs going on. Maybe he's licking himself excessively, urinating a lot, um, having difficulty holding his urine. Those might be signs we have an infection, and, and a good trip to the vet might help to rule that possibility out. Um, but otherwise, I can tell you when I had an intact male dog everywhere he went, you'd see like these little glowing green spots that kind of landed on all the furniture in the house and on the carpets. Um, so that may just be a, a, a matter of fact for and having an, a neutered boy there. All right. That's what I needed to know. I guess I'll, I'll take a trip and get him chopped off there. There's so many reasons to do it. <laughs> Chuck, thank, uh, thank you. We appreciate it. Ow, that just hurt just thinking about it there. <laughs> just chop those off. <laughs> one 405 8405 to connect with any one of the Dream Team anywhere. You're listening to Animal Radio. 
Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Hi, this is Jamie Farr, and you're listening to the Animal Radio Network. And remember to spay and neuter your pets. Your six-second TV review starts now. Two Ewan McGregor's is way better than one, and Fargo continues to be one of the quirkiest shows on TV. I'm in. It's time for breakfast at Burger King. Three pancakes for 89 cents at Burger King. That's pancake, pancake, pancake. Respect the stack. Three pancakes for 89 cents. Also try two croissant sandwiches for $4, only at Burger King. Limited time at participating Burger King restaurants. This is an Animal Radio News Update brought to you by Fear Free. Fear Free takes the pet out of petrified and puts the treat into treatment. To learn more and find a certified Fear Free veterinary professional near you, visit fearfreepets.com. I'm Lori Brooks. Three years ago, Los Angeles banned the use of elephant bullhooks within city limits. Uh, bullhook is a, a heavy metal tool that kind of looks like one of those things that you would poke a fire with. They actually call it a poker. And, and it's used to train and guide elephants. Well, that move by the city made it much harder for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey to bring its famous elephants to town and eventually resulted in the circus's decision to retire its elephants. And then later, even further down the line, they announced earlier this year that they would completely shut down the circus this month. Well, just last week, Los Angeles became the largest U.S. jurisdiction to ban all displays or performances by wild and exotic animals. In a unanimous vote, the City Council has ordered, City Council of Los Angeles, that is, ordered the drafting of an ordinance that would prohibit not only circuses within city limits, but would also prohibit exhibits like sidewalk snake handlers and rentals of animals at house parties. Usually that's children's birthday parties. Accredited zoos, however, are exempted. And Los Angeles, being home to Hollywood, animals in legitimate film productions get a pass on this ordinance as well. But San Francisco already does have such a ban. And New York City is said to be considering one. But also, some members of Congress have reportedly proposed a similar federal-level ban, although... They say it is unlikely that it will succeed anytime soon. According to data from the Centers for Disease Control, pit bulls are not the deadliest animals, or even rattlesnakes. You guys have any guesses on which animal might be the deadliest? Flamingos. Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. Dr. Debbie, you well, want to take a guess? Yeah. I, uh, I'm just going to say deer. Deer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. Was that it? That's why she's the smart one. <laughs> yep, deer are the deadliest animals in America, responsible for killing 120 people on average every year in America, compared to uh, one person a year being killed by bears, alligators, and sharks. Wow. And only point two three, so like almost a quarter of a person killed every year on average by a rattlesnake. Hmm. Uh, deer, of course, are not violent, but the majority of the deaths caused by deer stem from car accidents. Uh-huh. And your chances of being impacted by deer deaths depends on where you live. The report also found that the states with the lowest odds of dying by any animal are on the East Coast, with Massachusetts being the lowest, but 
Montana residents have the highest odds of death caused by an animal. Finally, an Arizona police department is the talk of the country these days after they recently shared some photos from the swearing-in of its newest and definitely their most unusual officer. It is, his name is Iroh, the drug-sniffing lizard. And you heard that right. <laughs> Iroh is actually a bearded dragon that first came to the Avondale Police Department last April. It was part of a pilot program they thought they would try, and he was officially sworn in last month, and photos of the ceremony have since been posted on the department's official Facebook page. Iroh was originally brought in to help the department after experts had reviewed some research showing that reptiles have a very strong sense of smell so strong in fact that it makes some of them more effective even than dogs at detecting some types of narcotics incredible right Mm. so if you're a reptile lover and would like to follow iro the bearded dragon just use the hashtag iro adventures in your search you know that's a hoax right it was was an april 1st fool's day hoax really you're kidding no i'm going to snopes right now yeah, go look it up. It was supposed to be supposed to just bring attention and draw some attention to their Facebook page. It was a big hoax. It was an April Fool's hoax. And, and well, know, I'm so glad you say, found that because I found it on UPI. So apparently they didn't post a correction. Wow. And I was sitting here thinking, you know, I'm the vet, and I'm like, I have not heard of this. <laughs> I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And now we got to double check it. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime. Double checked next time at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update brought to you by Fear Free. The veterinarian isn't typically thought of as your pet's favorite place to go. With Fear Free, that all changes. To learn more and find a certified Fear Free veterinary professional near you, visit FearFreePets.com. Hi friends, this is Dr. Marty Becker, America's veterinarian. As you know, going to the vet can be a traumatic experience for your pet, but it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, vet visits can be something your pet looks forward to. Introducing Fear Free. When your veterinarian is Fear Free certified, you will be assured your pet's vet visit is more free of fear, anxiety, and stress than ever before. Fear Free takes the pet out of petrified, and it puts the treat into treatment. To find a certified Fear Free veterinarian near you, go to fearfreepets.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Ah, uh, let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. How about Tina? Hi, Tina. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. How can we help you? Well, I adopted a cat oh, about a year ago, and he's a mixed Maine Coon. He's neutered. He's an absolutely wonderful boy until this last couple months, and he started pulling his hair out towards his hind end. Now, he's not mm. bald by any means, but he's pulling it around his tail, around his back end, and you can feel these little scabs. So I took okay. him to the vet. I took him to the vet, and they ran blood tests. They checked everything. He's not hurting. He's not nothing. They think it's behavioral. So how do I make him stop doing this? Because it's I mean, <laughs> cups of hair everywhere. Yeah, and it's only on the like kind of his rump area. Is it anywhere else on his body? His rump area and the base of his tail. Now he's he's probably about twenty five pounds. So I, I, and and he gets brushed daily. I mean, there's no matting. I I cannot figure this boy out okay. as to why he's doing this. 
Okay, so you you brought up some things that your veterinarian has already screened for, things like pain. Um, undiagnosed pain can definitely cause cats to do something like that, um, as, well, as well as other type of health problems internally, bladder problems. I would look on the outside, and I'm assuming also they look for things like fleas, um, yeah, types of skin no mites, and ringworm. Those kind of things also come to mind with a kind of a patchiness and an itchiness back there. You know, and then if everything else on a diagnostic workout has turned up clean and we can't find a good medical reason for this, then there's kind of two different avenues that I would look at. One would be I would work on the possibility of allergies. And food allergies, seasonal allergies, they can all get mixed up together in how they affect the body, but animals tend to chew, scratch, lose hair while we're off having hay fever signs. Um, so... Things that you can try in the meantime would be a food allergy trial and basically going to a type of a diet that is geared for a pet with a skin problem. And what they basically will be is two different methods, what we call a novel protein, which means it's based out of ingredients that the kitty's never really seen before and hopefully they are not allergic to. Things like rabbit, duck, um, very unusual things that they might have in their world. And you try a food trial with that for about four to eight weeks. There's some okay. other diets. It's called hydrolyzed protein diets, and I find a lot of kitties with some of these weird skin problems, that's the first thing that I like to do before we get into medications and things like that. So that I would definitely recommend. Now, if we were suspicious about allergies, in some cases we'll use medicines like steroids to give them a, a try to see if we see an improvement with that. And that might be something, if everything is checked out clear, that y- you may want to consider that as well. Okay. Now, there's another whole class of skin problems that I look at, and they're called psychogenic alopecia. And it basically makes it almost sound like it's a mental illness. (laughs) But in in a sense, it kind of is. There are some cats that have a behavioral-driven problem where they over-groom and self-mutilate almost. Um, For those kitties, we try a lot of different remedies from anti-itch medicines, steroids, to seizure medicines, behavioral medicines. And a lot of kitties will just kind of jump around and try different things until we find something that works. So either I'd say the allergy aspect or the psychogenic alopecia would be the different directions I might be looking here for your baby. Okay, that sounds great. I will try them because this is, you vacuum up pups daily. He's a beautiful, beautiful cat. And to have him lose this big plume of a tail... And, you know, be so thin in, in the hair and the honey den, he looks silly. Yeah. So <laughs> I'd like to fix it. Okay. one 405 8405 You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people. A California woman who allegedly instructed her two daughters to steal a neighbor's dog was arrested on charges of contributing to the delinquency of a minor and grand theft. A witness to the dog napping told police he saw two young girls jump out of an SUV and snatch the small dog while a woman inside the car was shouting at them to hurry up. A week later, the girls aged seven and nine were observed reacting strangely to a sign the dog owners posted offering a reward. They were sent to the principal's office where they confessed the stealing guppy, a small chihuahua Pekingese mix. Their mother, who was released on $20,000 bail, 
told police she took the dog to protect it from another dog in the neighborhood. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. Do you have knee or back pain? If you have Medicare or private insurance, we have great news. You may qualify right now to get a pain-relieving knee or back brace at little or no cost to you. I've used them. They work. Call the Pain Relief Hotline right now for free information. 800-419-1964. 800-419-1964. That's 800-419-1964. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Yeah, it seems like we're a little cat-centric today, but that's okay. Oftentimes we're dog-centric. And today it's important, really important, because a lot of you like to take your cats outside. They, I know that you walk your cats on leash, Judy. Yes, I do one. Only because they have different personalities and only one of my cats enjoys it. So I take him out daily on a leash. He really likes that. He does. You know who we have on the phone? And we actually welcome her back for her second appearance. Laura Moss is back because she has a brand new book called Adventure Cats. She apparently has one of these cats that likes to get out. Hi, Laura. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Absolutely splendid. So tell us about your cats. Um, Well, I have two cats and they both enjoy leash walking. But uh, I didn't actually train them to walk on a leash until they were about three and five. So we keep our adventures close to home. Like my backyard has a lot of a lot of trees and a stream, and they like to walk back there. But I don't think they're quite ready to join me on a camping trip quite yet. So then, what inspired you for the book? Um, well, I've been writing about pets for several years, and I had the privilege of interviewing a lot of the more famous adventure cats, like Millie the climbing cat and Burma the adventure cat. And I was curious about how people went from just basically leash training their cats to walk around the yard to suddenly scaling peaks and going on overnight trips. So that's kind of how my interest in adventuring with a cat got started. So I started just um, interviewing a lot of people who were doing, with this cat, doing this with their cats, and it led to the creation of our website, AdventureCats.org. And I realized there were a lot more people out there doing it than I thought. And we've just become kind of the... Uh, central part of the community for the people to meet each other and swap stories and share some of their amazing pictures. What, what would you say is the most amazing story you've heard about cats out in the wild? Um, I still, I'm still very surprised that there is a cat that enjoys swimming in the ocean. Mm. There is a, um, a couple of women who, they're special ed teachers in Hawaii, and they have a cat named Cooley who they rescued, and he has a lot of health problems and eye infections and had to be bathed quite frequently because of it. So he was always very comfortable in water, and now he paddles around with them in the water and enjoys the waves. And I never thought I would believe it until I saw it, but after talking to them and all the safety precautions they take and seeing video, I, you know, you can tell he's enjoying what he's doing. Mm. Wow. Well, this is obviously not for all cats. <laughs> How can you tell if your cat is one that might enjoy this? best way to tell is just, I mean, if you have a cat who, who's very interested in, you know, watching cat TV, like looking out the window, if he's, you know, constantly trying to get outside and like, you know, door dash, or if you have a cat, maybe that's having a lot of um, behavioral issues, like acting up, and it, it might be worthwhile to get outside for the physical activity and mental stimulation. But just because you have a cat, you know, who's showing all of these qualities, who's very valiant, 
doesn't necessarily mean they're going to take to it. So the best thing to do is just, if you're going to try it out, find a harness that fits your cat and start leash training indoors only, and then slowly take it outside and see how your cat responds to the environment. Mm. I'm thinking of Nike, the studio cat right now, because Nike has that kind of spirit. He, he, oh, yes. He, he's a real adventurer. He wants to be out. He's a door dasher. But I'd be fearful. <laughs> I'd be really fearful that if we were on a hiking trail, that maybe a snake or a bird or, or there would be some kind of animal that he would mix up with somehow. And I, I think that's the number one thing is that you always have to have your cat's best interest in mind. If you're going to be going out into a park or a wildlife area, you know, you need to keep your cat on a short leash. You need to know the area well. Uh, if there's a lot of wildlife sightings, maybe that's an area that you need to avoid. Um, if it's, you know, warm outside and there could be snakes, avoid tall, cla- you know, avoid tall grass and don't let your cat, you know, poke around under logs and things like that. Just, you know, just as if you take a dog outside, you need to, you know, always have their best interests at heart and, and be very cautious. Is it easy to leash train a cat? Uh, for some cats, yes. For other cats, no. Um, I have two, and one of mine, you know, I, I went through the very slow process of, you know, having him sniff the harness and feeding him treats with it, taking him slowly accustomed to it, and he just didn't care when you put it on, and he was ready to go. My other cat took weeks and weeks of just ensuring that his every interaction with the harness was a positive one, mm-hmm. so there was a lot more food involved, and he maybe gained a little weight during it, <laughs> but <laughs> just making sure that they know that, you know, we're just like all cat owners, no, you know, your cat's calling the shots, so you need to take things slow because if you push it too far, then you're going to risk, you know, never letting – your cat may never want to get near the harness again. Mm, yeah, I think all cat owners know that the cats are calling the shots pretty much <laughs> all, all the time. Did you pretty much just use food as a reward, or was there anything that else that you found that really was a, a positive reinforcement that helped to motivate the cats? Uh, so my cats are very uh, – they're very food-oriented, and they, they enjoy clicker training because of the food. So just using um, – wet food or just some crunchy treats was all it took for them. They will do anything for food. Mm-hmm. Well, I know many of us will put a leash on our cats and they'll just drop to the ground. They, they, they fall over they like fall they, over can't they can't move. They can't move or anything like that. So it really <laughs> right. takes an introduction to the leash prior to putting it on. Yes. And for, you know, the same way if you're going to, you know, try to put, you know, clothes on your cat, cats aren't used to wearing something like that. It's a new sensation. So it's very normal to put a harness on your cat and have them refuse to move or to walk a little funny and so it's just you know it's constant reintroduction and you know don't leave it on very long you, d- you don't want to frighten your cat and maybe the first time you put the harness on you don't don't velcro or snap the closures because the sound may frighten them you know just take it extremely slow mm. it looks like a great book i actually have 10 copies to give away right now adventure cats the author laura moss Order it on Amazon. If you're not lucky enough to get on through to win one of the copies today, head on over to Amazon.com or your local bookstore and ask for it. Laura, we appreciate you spending time with us today. Thanks so much for having me back. Check out the website, AdventureCats.org, and, of course, links to everything you've heard on today's show over at AnimalRadio.pet. Okay, it's time for us to get on out of here, but as I always say, if you need your fix during the week, download the Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. That's the best way, the easiest way to hear us during the week and to ask your questions. And, of course, we'll catch you back here next week for more Animal Radio on this fine station. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Talk to you next week. This is Animal Radio. Network. Network.